0: hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the show on this episode of the podcast we will be discussing everything bell needs. we'll go through the history of the distillery current news and of course our personal favorite aspect of the show the tastings with me as always is my intrepid and brilliant co-host andy
1: kleschick andy how are you doing today you know i'm doing good um just continuing. You know, to watch playoff football and all that. So, you know, Definitely. I'm, I'm hanging in there outside of that. Yep. My life's starting to get real, real, Andy. Today I went
0: and picked out the... Uh, and when I say I picked out, I mean I was there while it was picked out. Uh, but we picked out the um, what the all the groomsmen and myself will be wearing uh, at, the, oh, shit. at the wedding. So I yeah. we picked out the tuxes. So it's going to be uh, navy tuxes for all the groomsmen with like a navy vest uh underneath and then i have a blue i have a navy bow tie and then all the groomsmen will have like uh it's it's like it's like a pinkish bow tie but it's not quite pink it's like a it's like almost in between maroon and pink um but it's like a summery like kind of a girly color if you will so the, <laughs> I, mean, I didn't pick it out that's what the you, the ladies wanted uh, but that's what you guys are going to be wearing. you're just there
1: for the picking out as long as you can uh all of us can make it fit, right?
0: That's, that's right. So uh, we picked that out. I think they said maybe six weeks or I think that's what they said, but I'll, I'll double check. The, before the ceremony, we'll have to all go get in and get fitted and and then we'll pick up our tuxes two, two days before the wedding to make sure they fit and they're all good to go. But uh, mm-hmm. we picked out all the colors and, and styles for the tuxes and everything today. So... Things are rolling along, and of course I thought you might be interested in that
1: since of course yeah. you're going to be in the wedding. <laughs> I'm going to be there, so I'm definitely interested for that. Yep. I did not, you said nothing about that.
0: Yep, so that uh, so that happened today, so that was exciting. Uh, and that, So that's kind of what's going on with us, uh, and what else is going on with us is we're about to try some hopefully delicious bourbon. So Andy, before we do the tastings, why don't you go ahead and tell the folks everything they need to know about Bell Mead bourbon?
1: Of course. So this is another one, much like early times, uh... That we did last week. Uh, you know, Bell it started about eighteen sixties, eighteen seventies. All you know, early nineteen hundreds fell on some hard times because of because of prohibition. Um, a little bit earlier, though, because Bell Mead's based out of um, Tennessee, and Tennessee decided, well, in nineteen oh nine, we're going to enact our own prohibition. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was the one. This is a brand that was originally started and began distilling in uh, 1870 in Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery in Greenbrier, Tennessee. Um, so,
0: you know, you, so you're saying that Tennessee actually enacted prohibition before it was done at a federal level?
1: Yeah, they were one of the—I think one of the select few number of states that did that prior to a federal— Prohibition mandate. What was Tennessee thinking? I don't know, dude. I don't know. Crazy. And now it's one of the biggest whiskey states in the
0: entire country. Yeah. That's pretty funny.
1: Yeah. It's ironic. That's for sure. Right. Um, See, you know, they had a good 39, 40 years before uh, Prohibition took effect for them, um, even if it was just on a statewide level. Uh, But it was founded by Charles Nelson there. um, And it was even though, you know, it was something that, even though they were forced to shut down at that time in 1909, um, you know, it was a huge economic force in that Greenbrier, Tennessee area. Um, it was literally producing about 16 and a half times the amount of whiskey per year, at least at the time, um, on a per year basis, they were producing about 16 and a half times that, um, the amount of, um, Distilled spirits as Jack Daniels um, uh, At about three hundred and eighty thousand gallons uh, And it was something that you know for Greenbrier because of this they literally uh, Brought you know a railroad and railroad station to the city helped provide local markets for unused grains from farmers barrels You know so many other products like because singularly because of the Greenbrier distillery there in the area literally brought a whole lot of economic, um, production to the, to the city and to the surrounding areas from, um, and it was something that, you know, they ended up kind of post prohibition, even though Tennessee is still a little bit more restrictive in how they have their, um. Post prohibition stuff and where you can produce, how you can produce. Um, well, maybe not how you can produce, but at least where you can produce since they have so many dry counties. Um, it was something that, you know, they ended up selling off a lot of the distilled equipment post prohibition to uh, Seagrams in Canada um, for production since Canada didn't at least have their same, at least as restrictive prohibition, as far as I know, um, around the same time. You know, got sold a lot of that equipment got sold to them, and it was something that you know the original distillery grounds were and were eventually added to the uh, National Register Register of uh, Historic Places in two thousand eight. But it was something you know that they were very much post prohibition, a dormant brand. Um, it literally pretty much wasn't for about hundred and two years. That they uh, weren't revived for, so they were dormant for about a century there. Hmm. Uh, you know, it was until it was not until 2011 uh, that the brand was revived by uh, Charles's great, great, great grandsons, if I recall correctly, uh, Charlie and Andy. Um, they ended up reviving the uh, distillery and brand name in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and. Uh, about three ish years later, began actual distillation process. After you know, of course, the whole legal process had gone through and been approved. Yada yada yada. Right. Um. And it was something that you know they had begun originally rebottling just Bellmead bourbon while they were waiting to you know begin actually selling stuff. And it was something that you know that first three. Uh, five-ish years I think they were originally under an MGP name which the label I think we have now might still be MGP juice but I don't remember specifically I'd have to look at the label but you know now I think in 2022 they might start to put their um own juice into the bottles um so it should be good Should have been a lot of stuff, Um, you know, and they've they've definitely scaled it up in about a decade ish uh, since all the permits were approved. Uh, You know, they have two different uh, Tennessee whiskeys, uh, two Nelson's uh, labels under the Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery name, and then a few uh, uh, different bourbons, of course. They have all branded under the Bellmead name, um, all non age dated, but typically about a six to eight-year-old product, at least for the time being. Um, so right now, that pretty much means it's, like I mentioned just a short while ago, it's all MGP sourced, um, but they end up doing like all the bottling and the end result uh, marketing and everything. So they've got, you know, under the Bellmeat name, they've got their bourbon, a uh, few different finished bourbons in a single barrel, and then a few different, like, liqueurs hmm. that they also produce okay. through the um, Greenbrier Distillery. Very good. But, of course, today, you know, what we're really interested in, we're, we're not interested in the liqueurs or the Tennessee whiskey, we're inter- uh, interested in Meat, the bourbon.
0: Absolutely. And that's what we're going to be giving a a taste of today. Yep. All right, folks. Make sure you pour yourself a glass of the Bell Mead bourbon. And uh, we're going to go ahead and start the tastings. All right, folks. We've got ourselves a glass of the Bell Mead bourbon poured. As always, we're going to start off with the nose.
1: A little bit of vanilla. A little bit of caramel. Kind of some, like oat bread yep. nose to me
0: I get all that pretty light though I, yeah very, not, not very, very 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 light nose let's give it a taste sir cheers
1: yeah. cheers huh interesting
0: I think it's quite pleasant yeah pretty good a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of spice, a little oakiness. It's um, yeah. I mean, it's a solid. It's a solid whiskey.
1: It's a solid product. Yeah, that's for sure.
0: What are some notes? Are you are there? Any hints um, or notes or anything that you're getting that I didn't mention? I'm trying to
1: think on the. I get a little bit of oakiness and nuttiness on the palate. Yeah, absolutely. That I did not get as much on the nose. Yeah,
0: I would say it's like kind of a medium finish. It doesn't last too long. Mm-hmm. It doesn't like fade away immediately. Um, a lot of spice and still some of that that. Dark sweetness, a little bit on the on the finish. I like. Really, yeah. I really like it.
1: Yeah, that's for sure.
0: It's it's a solid product. I wasn't crazy about the nose, but I like I like the way it tastes.
1: It tastes a lot better. Yeah. yeah. Than it doesn't nosing it. Right. Absolutely.
0: All right, folks, that's it from us this week. Make sure you go over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please uh, subscribe, leave a review, listen to every episode of Distilled Discussions, and, of course, share the podcast on social media with all of your friends and family. We really do appreciate your support. Have a great week. Pour yourself another whiskey, and don't worry, America. We'll be here to drink with you next week.